everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 105 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Say Anything on your Bitches Man podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Happy <laughs> February? Uh, no, yeah, it's end of, happy end of January. Yeah, <laughs> okay. sure. Okay. <laughs> Podcasting is time travel. Uh, Remember that. <laughs> um, say anything. That's a good start no. for a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> we do. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, yes. We are it, talking about this movie today. Yes. Iconic, you could say from an iconic director certainly what why have you not seen this film before because it's from the 80s man hmm? i mean honestly that that's it because even i mean we, we've talked previously uh when we talked about girls point blank that i am a big fan of john cusack now mm. but i didn't discover him until the 90 late 90s early 2000s and then i just kind of never went back to see his early material because it's from the 80s okay and i'm just like it, it was old, you know, mm-hmm. that's really all I've got because this, this is, I mean, it, it's a kind of a quintessential teen type movie. And, and so I'm surprised that I've never really heard anybody talk about it. I mean, obviously the boombox scene is iconic. Everybody knows that there's a movie where John Cusack holds the boombox over his head. That's all I knew about this movie, you know? Mm. <laughs> it, so... It, it, it is another one of those films from that era that speaks to the American experience quite strongly. Cause I think it's, it's not iconic or referenced over here in the same way. Okay. Or certainly wasn't when I was age appropriate for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, this is one I don't remember hearing people talk about. It's just that, that one clip is what I've seen. I, yeah. I can't think there's nothing else. Even watching it, there was nothing else that really came across as familiar. Really? So the thing from it that stayed is a dude holding up a boombox. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's a place yes. to start from. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a bit about it? Say Anything is the directorial debut of Cameron Crowe. Released in 1989, it is a romantic comedy teen movie starring John Cusack, Ione Sky, and John Mahoney. While it wasn't a box office hit, barely making back its budget of $16 million, its impact on pop culture was significant and it garnered generally favorable reviews. Roger Ebert called it one of the best films of the year. It holds a 98% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and EW has ranked it as the greatest modern movie romance. Now that EW ranking, is that the one from 2002? Yes. Don't call me out on that. (laughs) I don't think included Beauty and the Beast. That's why I also worded it kind of ambiguously and said ew has ranked it (laughs) see what i did there right i do indeed (laughs) oh foolish me for bringing that up (laughs) (laughs) yes i think they had annie hall as number two which i bet that's not rated as highly anymore oh i Mm. haven't seen it but that's a woody allen film right it's woody allen Mm. and we try not to watch his films that's right yes because EW did seem to have done a, a, another modern romances about seven or eight years later. Uh, I think the same sort of criteria, last 25 years and so on. Say Anything was down to, I think, number nine on that list. And okay. it, only, it only occurred to me about Beauty and the Beast because Beauty and Beast was now number one. So in the intervening time, it has become, how would you say, a tale as old as time? 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, Matthew. (laughs) Oh, I do not like IMDb synopsis of this movie. Mm. I'm going to say it, but I don't like it. Okay. A noble underachiever and a beautiful valedictorian fall in love the summer before she goes off to college. I mean, yeah, but also not really. Right? (laughs) There's a lot more to this film than just that. That makes If I read that, I'd go, woof. Like, I'm not going to watch that, guys. Right, exactly. Give me some detail about, like, tax evasion, and then we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, this one doesn't have tax evasion in it either, but it's closer to the mark. Okay. In a charming, critically acclaimed tale of first love, Lloyd, an eternal optimist, seeks to capture the heart of Diane, an unattainable high school beauty and straight-A student. It surprises just about everyone when she returns the sentiment. But Diane's overly possessive, divorced father doesn't approve and will take more than the power of love to conquer all. I like that. I it's like definitely that. closer. I, I like having the definition being about first love, because yes, that's the crux of it. Yes. Nice. Okay. How were you able to watch this film? It is only available to rent here, so Amazon it was. Uh, okay. Uh, over in the UK, Sky Cinema have it. I couldn't find it anywhere else. Right. So uh, Cameron Crowe directed, starring a couple of Cusacks, a Sky, a Mahoney. What's your experience <laughs> of all the people? Um, the only other thing that I've seen that Cameron Crowe has directed was Jerry Maguire. Okay. Oh, really? Yes. Ah. Was I supposed to have seen more? Um, maybe. Because, I mean, his filmography is not huge. No. I think he's, I, he's I would have expected you to have seen Vanilla Sky, Fast Times. No, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is on the list. We haven't seen it okay. yet. Okay, okay. Um, I haven't seen Vanilla Sky. I remember when Elizabethtown came out, but I don't think I ever watched it. Yeah, that feels like a very you sort of film. As does the classic We Bought a Zoo. Yeah, no, definitely haven't seen that one. <laughs> Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His his filmography's not extensive and no, that's true. I've only seen Jerry Maguire, so Okay. Um we've previously talked about John Cusack and you know, we just talked about him a second ago. We've done him on the show for Gross Point Blank. Ioni Sky, nothing else. I mean she did apparently have a supporting role in Wayne's World, which we've done on the show, but I wouldn't have been able to pick her out. Uh, she was Rob Lowe's girlfriend with the adverts at the beginning. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> yeah, there was though. someone there, but I was looking at Rob Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Um, and then John Mahoney is Fraser's dad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he is one of those actors. He crops up in a lot of things. He's had a pretty good career. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're always looking for that I feel like he was even in the West Wing, and again, it felt like basically that. Mm-hmm. Was it the West Wing? It was something on those lines. I couldn't tell you. Oh, no, he's in The American President. He's in the, the movie West Wing. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I yeah. haven't seen that. Oh, okay. It's good. It's Alan Sorkin. It's good. You know, what can you say? <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have another Cusack in there. It's always nice to see Joan Cusack on, on screen. Yes, and apparently she did this completely unbilled. She did it mm. as a favor because this was right after she got nominated for the Oscar for Working Girl. Oh, okay. Nice tie-in to recent PCD episodes. Mm. <laughs> okay, so having now seen Say Anything, did you enjoy it? I liked it. 
high school Mandy would have absolutely loved it. Okay. Uh, what, what's the difference other than time? <laughs> well, I think it's, it, it is that, that aspect of time, that perspective of growing up. And this movie is very much from the perspective of, as you said earlier, first love. And it's it's so fairy tale, but in that, it, it's like a mundane fairy tale, which sounds weird to say that. It's so predictable; it's almost boring. Okay. But at the same time, it's a wonderful love story, and they end up happily ever after, kinda. So I I think that high school me would have fallen in love with the the love story the romance of it and the way it's not it's not over the top it's not dramatic it's it's just these two people are enjoying each other and they're having a wonderful time and older me watches it and thinks high school kids don't actually act like that and it's kind of boring and your movies you want some sort of actual conflict to happen you know watching it as a movie as well as a story yeah yeah i think so i mean i liked it i did it was sweet it was very sweet you you have no one to defend it to i fairly liked it i i can see some of the good stuff in it but like you sort of came and went a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, because there was no uh there, there is conflict but it isn't hugely interesting. I, th- I think for me, okay, so jumping ahead a little bit here, but one of the things that stands out is the characters are all really realistic. Mm-hmm. Like I can believe them and I can see that, yeah, that's a dude I would know in school, in university, in college. Um, the parents act in the right way. I think Roger Ebert in his review talked about the father is not the sort of bumbling middle-aged man who doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. A bit like the, the parents in like a Clueless or something. Right. Or he actually has a clue. He actually has a dialogue with her. The other parents and things that you see happening, it, it feels all very realistic. Uh, um, uh, that, I think, is where it loses a bit of interest. Because a good movie, you want colourful characters and, you know, larger-than-life situations and big stories. Mm-hmm. Watching realistic people on screen is, oh, it's okay. Yeah, a, a perfectly well-adjusted, happy girl who has a fabulous relationship with her father is just not interesting to watch on screen yeah <laughs> you and, want and, somebody who has a bit of a tragic backstory mm. and and she has some of that but they've kind of all come to terms with it so that's okay she mm-hmm. made her decision about who to go and live with so that was okay the mother doesn't show up so it's not like there's any particular mm-hmm. <gasps> now the mother's interfering in her life too right and, and there is a, a sense of this being like oh kind of summer fling you know she's got nothing to do for the summer so she might as well get to know the kids a bit more and see a boy and then go off and do her thing mm-hmm. luckily the irs turns up to give us a bit of conflict and change the tone of the story <laughs> there are right. heroes of the piece <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay that's that's a little harsh <laughs> uh before we dive too deep into talking about maybe some of the reasons this wasn't the most wonderful movie that we've ever seen i want to pull in a counterpoint from one of our friends anya she sent an email about this movie because this is uh one of her favorites and and so i wanted to pull out the reasons that she loves it she's she's given some really good points that i think are some of of which we were going to talk about but 
I want to get that perspective of someone who just absolutely loves this movie since that's not really coming from either of us right now. Okay. So Anya says, Say Anything holds a special place in my heart. It was the first DVD I ever bought and the first rom-com I ever loved. First, I love Diane. She's a smart, nerdy young woman, and that's presented as not just an okay thing, but a good thing. She doesn't get a makeover or seek validation from the popular crowd. The Brat Pack movies all revolve around high school social dynamics and the popular crowd, and this movie beautifully sidesteps most of that by starting just as they graduate. Diane is smart, confident, ambitious, and the core conflicts have nothing to do with her doubting herself. Second, I love Lloyd. He's also nerdy and a beta male, and that's presented as okay. I love his countercultural inclinations and that he's still trying to figure it all out. The scene where he rambles about not wanting to sell, buy, or process anything cracks me up every time. I love that he's less traditionally successful than her, but he's a generally good person with a lot of empathy and emotional intelligence. He's not submissive per se, but he supports Diane wholeheartedly and takes his cues from her. He's comfortable in a supporting role, and it doesn't threaten his masculinity or sense of self. Third, I love that the romantic conflict is central to the movie, but ultimately subservient to the bigger plotline about growing up. Romance is the core conflict for Lloyd, but for Diane, the core conflict is about finding out that her dad, the person she counted on and looked up to most in the whole world, is not who she thought he was, and the disappointment and confusion that follows. I love how she processes her emotions and uses her functional romantic relationship to help her deal with tough life stuff. I love how she sets clear and firm boundaries with her dad. Compared to most rom-coms, I think it shows romance in a healthy and realistic way. Romance is a powerful and meaningful feeling, but it's not everything. And ultimately, it fits in with who we are as people in our other relationships. These three core elements, Diane's character, Lloyd's character, and the way the romance serves the larger coming-of-age story are what I love most about the movie, and what made it seem so surprising and refreshing to me the first time I watched it when I was 12 or 13 years old. She ends her email by saying, There's something else about the structure and perspective of the movie that I find interesting and unusual, but I haven't quite figured out what it means. Most of the movie, especially the early parts, are from Lloyd's point of view, but then it shifts more to Diane, and the climax of the movie is all about her. This was Cameron Crowe's first movie, and it definitely feels like a love story from the perspective of a young man, but I think Lloyd and Cameron in the movie really see Diane as a full character and never reduce her to an object to be obtained or dominated. Even when Lloyd is doing problematic stalky stuff, it's not about possessing Diane, it's about being with Diane and supporting her and her agency as the end of the movie emphasizes. Yeah, that end piece definitely stood out that this is not really John Cusack's movie. Mm Mm-hmm. He is the leading man and his character is is the inciting incident. But it is utterly about Diane. It is her choice about whether to go out with him, to go to the party, the conflict with her father saying she should break up with him, her following her father's wishes, but realizing how much that's hurting her. And then the relationship and the issues with the father. I mean, he falls away very much and we have some of the side plots and things about him trying to figure out how to deal with the rejection the breakup Mm -hmm. but you could very much do this i think you'd probably need to give her some sort of sidekick type character or a dial uh, a diary or a voiceover or something so that we could could explain it more but we could spend this whole film following her much more yeah i i do wish that we had gotten her version of Corey. you know because we had Mm -hmm. um lloyd's friends the, the three girls who mm-hmm. I really that that's a whole other issue I don't really understand why they're in this movie <laughs> they bring nothing to the movie except to add filler and lines and whatever but we got them to show that Lloyd has other people in his life 
And I wish that we had had that with Diane, but I think part of of her character is that she has such a good relationship with her father and she's done so well in school at the expense of having that -hmm. social life. And that's why she doesn't have those friends, but it would have been nice, even as you say, to have had like even just a journal or a diary, something to help us see more of, of her internal conflict. Mm. I think that would have been helpful because Diane is the more interesting character I think because she's the one who's dealing with the her father and and her father's guilt and you know I think what is it that she says when she finally confronts him she says she's ashamed mm-hmm. you know and it would have been nice to get some of that internal conflict that she's feeling instead of just being told about it on the screen yeah yeah cuz certainly uh, part of the good of her uh, and there are times the film leans into her being a goody goody two shoes are that she loves working at this old person's home and mm-hmm. taking care of people and interacting with people in that way so in fact you could have made one of those her confidant that would have yes. been interesting have one of them be you know again Jessica Tandy or someone well and they almost did when they had her introduce introduce Lloyd to Bess mm. you know because Bess already knew who he was so obviously she's talked to her before but then we never nothing came of that mm. But yeah, I, I like that that's a character thing that she enjoys working there and, and <clears throat> excuse me, enjoys the good in the work. And so she's ashamed that her father was corrupted it. Yes. And that is nice. And that is a very legitimate thing. And and the, the details, the letter, uh, the, the email from Anya, it, it points out, it is really nice, the fact that she has worked really hard and hasn't cultivated friendships and been part of a clique in the way that you would normally see in a high school movie. Mm-hmm. But yet when she goes to the party, everyone's like, oh, hey, it's great to see you here. We wish we got to know you more. And that's what everyone writes to her. But it is a very real thing. It's not just words. She's a nice girl. She she even addressed that herself after the party when she says, Nobody knew me before tonight. They knew of you. Now they know you. Yeah, but I feel like I fit in for the first time, you know? Like, I just held them far away from me, so they did the same to me. Yeah. Because she actually got to talk to people instead of just be somebody who is around that people are looking up to. Yeah. And that, that it feels very realistic. That's mm-hmm. the sort of thing you get. You don't get the trope of, ugh, what is she doing here? Right. She's doing the plastics or something like that. Or but she only same... gets to go to the party once she's had a makeover. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but at the same time, those are the sorts of things that add a bit of it, a bit of color and interest to things, mm-hmm. whether they're tropey or not. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I saw a, a, a few comments on about this is that Gross Point Blank is a quasi sequel to it. Did you feel any of that? That that this character could go on to be Martin? That this could be the high school setup? I I didn't see the connection while I was watching it. But thinking about that right now, I definitely see similarities between the characters, just in attitude Mm. and and even mannerisms. But of course, that can just be attributed to the actor doing certain things, but but definitely in attitude. And I mean, I guess it's not entirely unrealistic to think that somebody who's obsessed with kickboxing could go on to become an assassin. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. And and uh, as much as, yes, John Cusack has mannerisms that follow through that you see in all the characters, there's just something about the cadence and the delivery of the dialogue here mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. he, he is much faster than you often see him deliver mm-hmm. or uh, in my head his other roles so the two roles because as Martin um, Blank it, he delivers the dialogue very fast so it, it felt like very much he was channeling a lot of the same sort of characterization in it which is, is probably why that thread seems to exist even if it isn't there mm-hmm. but I did enjoy it and I did enjoy watching it again with that sort of could this be? Yeah, this utterly could be. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I would be curious to look and see if he's ever responded to those sorts of questions. Mm. Has he ever said anything? You know, was he channeling Lloyd when he yeah. was being Martin? I wonder if he even got questions when Gross Point Blank came out. Maybe that would perhaps. be interesting to know. I wonder. I, I do think that I, I really like how... Um, Anya pointed out that the bigger plot line is really about Diane and her core conflict with her dad. Mm. It's not, even though this movie is billed as a rom-com and ultimately it ends with the two of them getting together for their happily ever after, the actual conflict that that Diane goes through is the one with her father. And Mm. watching her relationship with her father throughout the whole movie and then ultimately watching that relationship break I think was one of the best parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think her relationship with her father was wonderful. The end of it with, with her breaking, essentially breaking up with him was, was heartbreaking. Um, if you read my notes, I continually note her dad's a good dad. Oh, he's such a good dad. You know, he's looking out for her and, and mm. you know, just all of these things. And I find it interesting because ordinarily in a teen movie, you don't get parents. And if you do, you get them because they've, they've done something to break their children. You know, they've mm. caused some sort of neuroses or, you know, tragedy that has broken the character. And throughout the story, we're fixing whatever that thing is that's broken. And we don't get that in this movie. And I like it to the point that it almost makes me wish he wasn't guilty okay. because I, I want that relationship to remain intact. I, I want that relationship to also have a happily ever after. I did read somewhere somebody asked why why the father had to be guilty for this movie. And mm. and the answer is without the father being guilty, it's basically just pretty and pink. Yeah. It, it's exactly the same. It needed that difference. And John Mahoney has said he took the part because the character just utterly fascinated me. I've played killers, but I don't think I've ever played a character so remorselessly amoral like that. <laughs> Just a little extreme. I feel like it is a little extreme, yeah. but at the same time, he I mean, he was pretty he had no remorse whatsoever because he had on one hand, he he had a he had principles. He had a reason he was doing it, and that thing was more important than anything else. And so he was gonna do whatever he had to do to do what he needed. Mm. You know, it was to take care of her and to give her everything that she wanted and or needed. And so yeah. It's... I, I, I feel like that's why he started doing it, but very clearly they live in nice house and have nice things. So yeah. it's over and above giving her the opportunities. It's then, oh, and now a life of comfort. Lovely. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, though, after she went to the IRS to try and defend her father, and the guy was like, well, he fits the profile. And she said, what's the profile? And he said, well, do you have a lot of art in your house? And things mm. like that. And then the next thing we see is her walking through the house, through every room of the house. And on every wall, like almost every surface of every wall was covered in art. 
Mm. And you didn't really get to see that as much in the dinner scene because they focused so much on the jukebox and then just the the actors, the characters who were around the table. Mm. But in that walkthrough when she was going through the house, that's such a nice attention to detail that really plants that seed. Because at first I thought he wasn't guilty. But then I started to see those things and it's like that's that's a really nice way to kind of show it before we actually get to the reveal yeah. that he is. Because I, I question, did you question or did you just assume that he was guilty the whole time? I assumed there would be something. The, the bit that surprised me was the punishment. I assumed there would be even more of a deal and he would just basically be going free. It would actually end up having no impact. But mm. By the end of it, it's like, oh, no, he's been locked up. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned the IRS guy, uh, Philip Baker Hall. It is worth calling out because he's one of the great actors. Anytime he pops up in a thing, it's like, oh, cool. The film has <laughs> got a bit better. Hooray. Okay. <laughs> I, I like seeing these sort of short pieces and cameos where you go, oh, yeah, a genuinely good actor's turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked um, seeing Lily Taylor show up as his friend Corey. I didn't know that she ever did stuff back when she was young. So it was mm. nice to see her. I see her in a, in a lot of things now, but I, I don't think I had ever seen her in anything when she was this young. And so that was that was fun to see. Yeah, she's clearly been a jobbing actor for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now is getting her rewards. Good on her. Hooray. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have to ask you a question. Okay, go on. Why do you think that boombox scene is so iconic? Because <laughs> it didn't even work. Like, he did this grand gesture to try and get her back after she broke up with him. And she didn't come outside. It cuts to, like, away from that scene to them just doing their own separate things the next day. Nothing came of it. I mean, yes, they ultimately get back together, but they didn't get back together because of this grand gesture. So why is this the thing that people remember about this movie? If I'm honest... I think it's because it's so laughable because it's just such a rubbish, it's a rubbish thing to do. And and there's the sort of comic trope of, you know, hiring a band or doing some big stagey thing. He has literally gotten a tape on a boombox instead of they're holding it. It is almost, uh, the the least he could do is turn the car radio up. The second least is hold up a boombox. (laughs) <laughs> well, it would have made more sense if music had been a large part of their relationship, you know, and I think prior to this, we had seen, obviously, he likes music because he had the tape player in his car that he had to fix the tape on his way to graduation to get it to play the music really loud. And she was in his car at some point and the song came on and she said, oh, I really like the song. But that's kind of it. Yeah, because it's the same song that they first get together to. Mm hmm. So he's trying to evoke some of those emotions or show that he's still there and a part of her history or something. But Right, but but it was just such a throwaway line. Like if if music had actually been something that they enjoyed together, mm. it would have had more of an impact for me, I think. Yeah. It just came across as like I was honestly shocked at the context of the scene and how it played out in the movie given how popular it is. We were expecting she would jump out the window and run to him and kiss him. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I expected that to be the thing that gets them back together because she she knows that she loves him. She shouldn't have broken up with him. 
you know, she's in pain, he's in pain. Okay, great. He's going to let me back in, even though I hurt him. Let's go do this thing. But no. Yeah. We just cut. Yeah, this is not a film where the grand gesture is a thing. It tries. I mean, he does mm. write the letter. Yeah. He does the boombox thing, but... Um, and that was something that someone, uh, Susie Hula, said on Twitter about this. She was like, forget the whole boombox thing. She used a different word than forget. Um, forget the whole boombox thing. This is what breaks my heart. And the, 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 the pen, essentially, the fact that she's trying to be nice and say hey, I want you to write me, so I'm going to give you the tool to do that, and it's going to be a thing that forms a connection between us. Mm-hmm. But actually, he's like, a pen. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And and jumping us through to things that we love about this film, I do love that she then gives the pen to her dad at the end of it. Mm-hmm. This pen has become the symbol of breaking up with someone. And breaking up with someone in a not very good way. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she leaves her dad at the end with like, and now you can have the pen. <laughs> it's it's a bit kind of a dark version of, what is it, Bachelor and giving the rose. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, it's so cold at that point. I really like it. <laughs> Particularly because obviously he was the one counseling to do that, but it's an excellent moment. Mm-hmm. I think another interesting piece from that whole final scene with her father in at the prison uh, before she comes out and, and Lloyd is giving him the letter and really kind of talking him up and he's like no, no no it gets better it gets better and then he's like wait if it's the one that signed off you know despite everything I still love you mm-hmm. then, then it really gets better and then they realize it's not and then he says yeah. well it should make you feel better that there was a version that existed like that mm. you know and and it's such a small thing, but listening to him have this conversation with her father tells you a lot about the relationship that he has with Diane, because that means that she was confiding in him, that she was writing these letters with Lloyd there. Mm. You know, Lloyd was privy to the things that she was thinking and feeling and and trying to kind of hash through all of that. And then he's the one who actually goes to see her father. And I think even though it's not on screen that those are definitely signs of a healthy relationship with this, mm-hmm. which is not something you normally get from 18 high school romance yeah, or summer after high school romance. I just, I liked it. I thought that was definitely different. They, they did a lot of subverting high school teen movie tropes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that, again, it speaks to this being the start of someone's career. He has grown up watching the John Hughes type films and some of the Black Packs films of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And now he wants to do something a little different. Um, were there other things that you particularly enjoyed about it? Things that you loved? Well, I'm with Anya, and I think that his speech about what he doesn't want to do. I don't know. I've, I've <clears throat> thought about this quite a bit, sir. And I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought or processed or repair anything sold, bought or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So uh, my father's in the army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. It's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. I, I had actually seen that clip before. I didn't realize it was from this movie. And I don't know what context I had seen it in. 
but I had seen it before and right. I don't know how he got through it with a straight face. I don't know how anybody at that dining room table got through that with a straight face. And then he also said he had a line where he said something about how his dad, you know, is in the army and wants him to, to join the army too. And he said, but I don't want to work for that corporation. And it was so deadpan mm-hmm. and it cracked me up that he was calling the army a corporation. Mm. Do, do you get the sense that he's actually an army brat moving around or just that he's always, his dad's always been stationed somewhere. So he never moved, but never actually saw his father. Honestly, they don't really give us enough to okay. tell. Mm-hmm. I think I feel like some of his countercultural personality kind of lends to the idea that he is an army brat. who's moved around a lot. But his friendship, his close friendship with Corey Hmm, and the other two girls, I cannot remember their names. I'm not even sure they both had names. DC? Um, DC is one. Yes. The other one? I can't remember. Sure. I don't think they ever said that name in the movie. But but having close friendships like that kind of makes you think he's been there for a while, especially Hmm. since he's been there through the whole Joe thing with Corey and... So I I don't know. Okay. We already talked about Lloyd trying to cheer up her dad and telling him about the other version of the letter. I loved that. And then there was just this one line that I thought was really, really funny that she had when she's finally telling her dad about um, when she slept with Lloyd, which I think is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But she's going through all of this stuff, and she ends with, so I decided not to sleep with him. And then I attacked him anyway. With this gigantic grin on her face, I thought the delivery of that line was spot on, spectacular, mm-hmm. and I really, really liked it. I mean, Ione Sky is she's a good actress, mm. but it's hard to be a good actress when all of your scenes are against John Cusack or John Mahoney. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Mm. And this line, she absolutely nailed. Nice. So I really liked it. Hmm. Uh, what about you? Um, one thing that I had forgotten is not only do we have John Mahoney, we have another Frasier uh, actress, actor, mm-hmm. because we have B.B. Newworth, who played uh, Lilith, Frasier's wife, or Frasier's yes. ex-wife. <laughs> Just, and I did tell her in a couple of minutes going, I know her, and I'm not sure <laughs> what from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that was cool. Um, The thing that I particularly enjoyed, and and this is again, it's sort of working against the normal high school movie, is when he gets broken up with, where he's been dumped, and he has this moment of, like, I I need guy friends. I just need to hang out with guys. Surely they'll be able to help me. And he goes and sees these guys and gets just the worst advice. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like you should find a girl who looks like her and then break up with her. What yeah. does that even mean? And it's, I think it's intentional that we just look at these guys going, yeah, they're idiots. And yes. and he, his friends call it out, like, don't be a guy, be a man. Mm-hmm. It's a much better place to be. But I do also quite enjoy Jeremy Piven when he turns up in things because he commits mm-hmm. to whatever he does. And he usually gets given that he's sort of, terrible schmuck type characters and he's given these bullshit lines in this and he utterly commits to them when it when he just stands there and straight face delivers diane court is a show pony you need a stallion my friend walk with us and you walk tall tall my man (laughs) now a stallion is a male horse is a studding male horse (laughs) 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 and i'm fairly sure that bit of dialogue is going to be intentional (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. So those guys were John Cusack's real life friends. Like he flew them I out. Can see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had them flown out to do this scene. The studio right. wouldn't do it, and he thought that this is what the movie needed. Yeah, <laughs> and it just it it worked. I like that that he just kind of looked at them for a minute, and then just like rolled his eyes and turned around and walked away. Yeah, yeah, I need to like, go back no. to the movie. <laughs> they, they talk sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, but for a film that as a comedy, I didn't think was. It doesn't have too much comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very good. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the sort of ridiculousness that I quite enjoy. So, all right. Before we sign off, is there anything else that we need to discuss about say anything? So the film has an interesting ending, I think, and I've gotten us here a little bit quicker than we perhaps might otherwise have done because I feel like your answer at the beginning about watching this as a younger person watching this as an older person and the way you view it changes your reading on that final scene they're taking off she's petrified of flying he's trying to calm her and he says once the uh light goes off about the seat belts we know it's all fine and it's just them staring waiting for that light to go off mm-hmm. did you have any thoughts about the final moments that the film is giving us about do they have any deeper meaning? Does it imply anything about what's coming for them? Did it evoke any reaction in you? All three answers at once, please. <laughs> <laughs> my my initial reaction to scenes like that is always, oh, they live happily ever after. Because right. it cuts to black right after it dings, and so everything's okay. They're together. They're going to England. They're going to spend the rest of their lives together. It's great. Okay. But they just graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. He has no prospects for his future. She wants to study. You know, in, in real life, this mm-hmm. is not going to last forever. But they're both going to get a really great life experience out of it. I think it is somewhat reminiscent of The End of the Graduate. Yep. The okay. Graduate ends with um, what's his face and what's her face. Yeah, it does indeed. <laughs> Sitting in the back of the bus, driving away after she walks away from her wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, I feel like this felt more hopeful than the end of The Graduate did. Mm-hmm. But they're very similar in the future is open and you don't yeah. actually know what's going to happen. So do you think you would have read that purely that first way if seeing this at a, an age appropriate time? Oh, if I had watched this in high school, I absolutely would have felt they're going to live happily ever after for forever. Okay. High school sweethearts absolutely work. Um, I think my my final thought in my thoughts doc was this was the most perfect teen movie ever. Okay. Because wow. it, from from a teen perspective, it, it did a lot of really great things that I wish more movies had done that mm. I watched when I was a teen. You know, it it didn't do a lot of male gaze stuff. It didn't have to make Diane lose her agency or do silly things to win the guy. You know, she had a good relationship with her father and she still ends up with this really good guy at the end without having to do these like acrobatics like Mm. you see in things like 10 Things I Hate About You or a Cinderella story. You know, any of these, she's all that. You know, you have to go through the whole makeover process and and become somebody you're not in order to become yourself. Mm Mm-hmm which is what we usually get in teen movies. And we didn't get any of that here. So I wish that 
that high school Mandy had had movies like this okay. to see. Yeah. But at the same time, grown up Mandy thinks it's a little bit boring. <laughs> what What do you think the writer and director want us to take away from that ending? Do you, Do you think they're looking for us to watch it and go, oh yeah, is this a relationship that's going to make it? Do you think that he's framing that in such a way that invites the question? I think it absolutely invites the question um, for it to build up so much the way it did. As soon as it dings, everything's going to be okay. Any minute now, it's coming. It's going to be okay. You know, and then finally, ding, cut to black. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's absolutely, he's, he's trying to say everything's okay, at least in this moment everything's going to be okay. Okay. Uh, and do you, do you, Miss Mandy Kay, do you think this is a relationship that will make it? No. Okay. I want it to, but no, mm. I don't think so. It, it has no substance to it. He falls in love with her because of her eyes. He doesn't actually know her. She doesn't actually know him. I don't know. We, yeah. we don't... We don't see enough of, of their characters interacting to see them really get to know each other. Although that is something that we didn't talk about. One of the things I noticed about this movie is the passage of time is odd mm. in this movie. And so I feel like they, he was trying to show us that they were spending a lot of time together and getting to know each other. It just didn't really work. Because you, you get things like she introduces him to Beth at the old folks' home the first time that he goes. And then it cuts immediately to some unspecified amount of time later where he's got the blackboard set up, Lloyd presents Cocoon. So how long has he been coming with her to this old folks' home to show them movies? Mm, okay. Because it's the first time that he's done that. It's obviously not the same day. Some unspecified amount of time has passed. And so I think that they're trying to use the passage of time to show us that their relationship is evolving and deepening. Mm -mm. But we need more than just the passage of time. We need to see them have those emotional moments that apparently are happening off screen. Yeah. And I think if we had gotten some of them on screen, I would feel more invested and committed to the idea that this relationship could last. Mm. Uh, you make me wonder if that's intentional, that she really likes him because he draws her out of her shell somewhat and is interested in her interests. Mm -hmm. So I going back to what you said at the very beginning about this being first love, yes, that's the sort of thing that goes, oh, he's so good, he's so great for me. And eventually when she gets to university, she's gonna, I think, start going, I need a bit more. I need mm -hmm. you to have your own thing. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're living in a dorm room together or something. Right. Mm. But yeah, I, I wonder if that's why we don't get scenes of them on a date. Mm-hmm going to the movies, going to the mall, something like that. Yeah, I mean, because even their first date was the party, and mm. they didn't spend any time together at the party. Ooh. Yeah. All of the time they spent together was driving the drunk guy home for three hours, <laughs> but we didn't get to see any of that. We got to see the beginning of that and the end of that. Mm. So we don't, we never got to see their relationship actually grow. Yeah. And he's such a nice guy, Daddy. He swept some glass out of the way for me. Like, why was he walking you over the glass in the first place? Walk around it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting character beat, too, because th there was that, that they kept coming back to that. Well, I guess twice. 
we, we saw that. Yeah. And then when she was talking to her friend, quote unquote friend, at the party, she was talking about, oh, look, he's wherever he is. He's looking out for me. And he was across the room watching her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so they kept coming back to that beat. Like he's protective of her. Yeah. But it wasn't really that convincing. Okay. Yeah, I wondered how that landed for you now and if, if that was the thing that impacted your uh, view of it. How, but how did you come ends. out of it? Yeah, I had exactly the same reaction that, you know, it's so similar to The Graduate, you can't help but think that. Mm-hmm. But it is strange that that final shot is held for so long for them waiting for the seatbelt sign to go off. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it plants uh, seeds of doubt. Yeah, I, I feel like it's the director wanting us to go. They're just waiting for the next thing to happen mm. to get them there and so on. And now some of the, the conflict has passed. Oh, what have they got together? We're not so sure. Right. So it's, it, it's well done. It's interesting. It, it sort of adds another little flick at the end of the film, a little twist. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make one recommendation. Okay. Uh, of a film that I actually watched this year, which came out this year, so I wouldn't have watched it before this year, uh, that I particularly enjoyed and is a particularly good teen film. And when I read the blurb, I went, nope, not seen that. It sounds terrible. But then I started hearing people talk about it being very good. A film called Blockers. Blockers. A 20, 2018 American sex comedy. Um, directed by Kay Cannon, who wrote the Pitch Perfect trilogy. It is about three girls graduating high school who decide uh, at prom they will lose their virginity to boys. Not to each other, to boys. Right. Um, Their parents discover this is their plan and on prom night set out to stop them. Oh, that's right. I remember I've seen the trailer for this. Mm. Sounds terrible. I heard that and thought, okay, I would have enjoyed that at the time that I was utterly age-appropriate to enjoy American Pie, and now it's probably going to be awful. But people started saying, actually, it's quite good, and it's got some good stuff in it. So it came on Sky. We watched it. It is very progressive. It is very well done. It does some really good stories. Okay. So if we're talking teen movies that are worth watching, I would recommend Blockers. Okay. I'm fairly sure it's going to hit Netflix some places soon. Cool. I will be on the lookout for it. And there we go. All right. Ta-da. <laughs> well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit the homepage, eloquentgushing.com. You can find all our other shows and our blogs and our videos and all the other stuff that Mandy mentioned. Come and talk to us. We'd like to talk to you. Hi, it's almost February. (laughs) We'll be back (laughs) next week with another episode where we'll talk about Rocky. Until next time. I'm Mandy Kay. And she gave me the pen. (laughs) (laughs) Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.